just as I pass them on to you. But I want you to know, or want you to realize, that the head of every man is Christ, and the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. It's the same as having her head shaved. For if a woman does not cover her head, she might as well have her hair cut off. But it's a disgrace for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved. Then she should cover her head. Man ought not to cover his head, but since he is the image and glory of God, but woman is the glory of man. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. It is for this reason that a woman ought to have authority over her own head because of the angels. Nevertheless, in the Lord, woman is not independent of man, nor is man independent of woman. For as woman came from man, so also man is born of woman. But everything comes from God. Judge for yourselves. Is it proper for a woman to pray to God with her head uncovered? Does not the very nature of things teach you that if a man has long hair, it is a disgrace to him? But that if a woman has long hair, it is a glory. For long hair is given to her as a covering. If anyone, anyone wants to be contentious about this, we have no other practice, nor do the churches of God. Guess what I've got? <laughs> But let me say this, although, although I seem to have picked up some of the, the harder passages of 1 Corinthians, I have been thoroughly blessed by having to dig into these, these passages and find out what Paul is really saying. Here's the traditional interpretation. Ladies wearing hats. And that is so often has been a, an interpretation of this passage that ladies should wear hats in church. And there are traditions of the church uh, worldwide that still hold to that. Okay. Let's face it, this is a very difficult passage. First, we know about the, the culture a bit of, of the Corinthians, but we don't know so much about their customs. What about head coverings in, in ordinary life? There is very little evidence about things. Yes, we have pictures and, and, and statues and things so we can infer, but how things were actually done, information is quite short. So that's, that's the first reason that 
that it's hard to interpret this passage. Secondly, in this passage, there are some very difficult words and concepts. And we're going to have to look at that this morning so that we can understand the the passage correctly. It's not straightforward. And thirdly, hate to say it, but English translations of this passage have not served us well. Including, I'm afraid, the ESV. So, it makes it very difficult for us. And things we might think are obvious actually aren't quite as obvious as they might be. So, what do we need to do? We need to try and find out what was actually going on in the church in Corinth. What prompted Paul to write these words? That's the first thing. Then, we need to see how Paul deals with that. And then thirdly, apply what is said to ourselves and to the church. So those three things, they're not, they're not the three headings. That's, they're the sort of three things that we will be trying to do as we go on. And I believe that we can get somewhere with this. So, the first, the first section, really, I've just in, entitled Shame on You. That will give you a sort of a, a, a title for the first few verses of what Paul is saying here. Um, I'm skipping over verse 2 because that's very positive. We come on to what he's really saying in verse 3. So what was happening in Corinth? What was happening? This is what Paul says in, in that. It was mainly a problem with some of the women in the church. I hate to say it, ladies, but that's, this is what it appears to be. Although, we'll, we'll see in a minute, I know he talks about men, but the whole drift of the passage goes to, really, a problem that he's dealing with some of the women of the church. So, they were praying and prophesying. And he says, it's, it's a, a woman shouldn't pray with her head uncovered. So that's what you, that's what you think is going on. She, women were praying and prophesying. Incidentally, that tells us that we're dealing with worship together here, not just private prayer. Women were pr- praying and prophesying with their heads uncovered. And the result, that that dishonours her head. Oh, that's the problem. Done, sorted. We all understand that, don't we? Oops, no. (laughs) No, we don't. You see, we identify the problem and then we say, what is going on here? So it's mainly a problem with the women, but to be fair, some of the men may have been involved in this too because Paul does mention men. Men this, women that. Now, this is tricky. That is what was happening, but it really doesn't help us. What was going on? Right. We need to look at some important words to uh, see what was, what was happening in, in the church. And uh, I think some of you are going to disagree with what I say and some of you are going to agree and some of us will sit on the fence and that's the way it will be. But I have had to come to some decisions about this passage. Right. Head 
in this passage is used two ways. First of all, it's used of the physical head. Easy. And secondly, it's used as a metaphor, a picture. And mostly in the passage it's clear which way around that is, but there is a little bit to sort out. So, literal head, head as a picture, a metaphor. Verse 3. The head of every man is Christ, the head of the woman is man, and the head of Christ is God. Obviously, head being used as a metaphor, a picture, not talking about literal head in that verse. Right. It's a metaphor. Here we come to a big issue. What does it mean? Well, I'm going to ignore liberal scholarship. Let's push push liberal scholarship on one side. Let's look at conservative scholarship, people who believe that the Bible is the word of God and uh, trust that word, but want to dig in and find out exactly what is going on here. On the one side, we have someone called Wayne Grudem, who's written a big systematic theology and is something of a hero in New Frontier Circles. And Wayne Grudem says, the word means authority. So if you take that interpretation... The authority over every man is Christ, the authority over every woman is man, and the authority of, uh, over Christ is God. Actually, that last statement gives me a slight problem, but that's one way of understanding it. On the other hand, Gordon Fee, who is a Pentecostal theologian, and who also believes that the Bible is the word of God, etc., and who I trust as well, he says that the head doesn't mean authority. It means origin, source. So you would understand these words, that the source, the origin of every man is Christ. The origin of woman is man, And the source, origin of Christ is God. In other words, every man, or maybe every Christian man, comes from being born again, Christ. Woman literally came from man, and Christ was sent by God. I have commentaries that are in the middle as well. And uh, Leon Morris, who wrote the Tyndale commentary, I think gets totally lost at this point. So the question is, where do we go? Here comes my, which side of the fence am I going to come down on? You feel like saying, roll the drums. (laughs) 
wait to silence and you say, the side of the fence is... Yeah. I don't think it's about authority. I've come down on Gordon Fee's side for a number of reasons which I hope will become clear. So we'll see. Okay. Christ is the source of man, the source of woman is man, the head of or the source of Christ is God. Put it that way. Okay, but what about covering? Every man who prays or prophesies with his head covered dishonors his head. Covered literally means have, or in the Greek is literally, have down the head. What an odd expression. Have down the head. But whatever that means, it brings shame on the man's head who in the light of verse 3 is Christ. Not his head, but Jesus. So here is something that brings shame to Jesus. But what does have down the head mean? What down the head? And this is where, because we don't understand customs, it gets difficult. Some people think it might be the Jewish prayer shawl, but actually the talit, which came, but that actually came centuries after this. So I don't think it means that. Some people say that the, in those days, sometimes men covered their head as a sign of mourning. But why would they do that in church? together when they're worshipping. So that's, that doesn't seem so good. Now, in Corinth, there were various cultic practices, and one was worship of the god Isis. And in some of that worship, men would sometimes dress up as a woman. They would paint their hair and their face, and they would get into a bit of a frenzy. And it was men acting as women. Oh. Oh. Hold that. Let's not go any further at the moment. Hold that. Right. But every woman who prays or prophesies with her head uncovered dishonors her head. That literally says, uncovered as to the head. Ah, right. And this brings shame to male, well, perhaps to her husband, because woman comes from man, and some people think that means husband, but others, and I would be with them on this, means it generally brings shame on male female relationships oh so what does it mean some people say well it's the woman having long hair which sort of flows down so to be uncovered would be have long hair to be covered would have it 
done up. There are people who, who think that. But it might, that might be something, but listen to this. In that same ISIS worship, women used to act as men. Ah. So you've got men acting as women and women acting as men and it is quite possible, you might find this hard to understand, but it is quite possible that the Corinthian Christians were finding it difficult to unlearn this sort of stuff. So this could be what was happening, that in their newfound freedom, some women and perhaps some men were ignoring those local customs because the ISIS worship was, a, was considered shameful. They were ignoring that and imitating pagan worship. In other words, in Christian worship, getting into a frenzy and the the lines between male and female were getting blurred. Oh, you might think, this is really weird. But don't forget, we've got to step back into their culture. They didn't live in 21st century British culture. We are going back to Corinth in the first century when all sorts of things went on, which we don't understand, and and the the message of Jesus who sets people free came into this. And not everybody gets free from everything straight away. And we've already met this sort of thing in, in the worship of Corinth before. So it was bringing shame on male-female relationships. You've got men acting as women, women acting as men. Do you know what comes to my mind? is what goes on in a pride, pride parade. It's not as fantastically away from us as you might think. Bringing shame on Jesus and shame on the church. Ah. They think, oh, wow. So what's Paul's response? Quite simply, this ladies, if you want to be like men, cut your hair short, have your head shaved, and that's fine. But that's a shame. In Corinth, that was a shame. So they were acting against the, the, the culture, the, the ethos of the day, and they were shaming Jesus and the church. And probably men were involved as well. And that's Paul's response. So what does that teach us? It teaches us this. Men and women are equals in the church of God, in the church. Both can pray and prophesy and indeed receive any other spiritual gift by implication. Every single person here could receive a spiritual, a Holy Spirit gift from God and contribute into the whole. Every man every woman, every believer here, every born-again person can do that should the Spirit move. But we should also recognise this difference. Recognise the differences and how these affect our roles in the church. Equality 
biblically, I believe, does not mean identity. Being identical. That's the first thing we can get from this. Brothers and sisters, we're all equal. We're all valuable. We're all valuable to God. We can all receive spiritual gifts. We can all contribute to the whole. We all have a ministry and a role to play. Isn't that fantastic? No one is left out. No one is more important than the other. Whatever role it is, you are valuable to the church of God here. Two, in order to proclaim Jesus clearly, without compromise but without giving offence, different cultures need different responses. You see, what applied in Corinth, that it was a shame for men to have long hair, doesn't apply so much in our culture. What applied in Corinth, that women should have some sort of covering because of, of the custom culture of their day, whatever, doesn't apply here. Our culture is different. So we must proclaim Jesus relevantly to our culture. We mustn't give offence, but we mustn't compromise. You know, years ago, when we were sort of fairly early on in, in Romania, uh, pastor was talking to us and he said, I can't cope with these Dutch women. Anybody related to Dutch people? No offence. And why, why, couldn't he, why couldn't he cope? He said, they're not dressed appropriately. Well, Heather and I looked at these dear ladies who were, were serving the church faithfully, and they looked just like you ladies. Just, just like that. But to, to the Romanians at that point, although things have moved on, but to the Romanians at that point, some of the ladies' dress was not culturally appropriate. And instead of attracting to Jesus, it was putting off. We found it hard to see, but that's, that's, that's really what was being said. And we've got to engage with the culture out there, but without compromise. Easier said than done. Easier said than done. But point three, equally, we must not allow any aspect of our culture, the culture that's around us, to, to draw us into compromising. Do you know, I'd love to see uh, some sacred dance, you know, particularly ladies, you're good at that sort of thing. Some of you, I'm, I'm sure, would be absolutely fantastic. But actually, I've also seen younger women perhaps doing that and not realising that some of their moves are sexually suggestive. We have to be so careful. You know, let's engage with the culture. Let's do things that are relevant. If it means having here one day absolutely loud, amazing guitars blasting away so that we all want earplugs, so be it if we connect. But, not to compromise and we wouldn't allow that to make us compromise ah, right oh we're getting on hang on I must move on next, next section let's call it creation that's good 
And significant words here, glory. A man ought not to cover his head since he's the image and glory of God, but a woman is the glory of man. Paul is looking back to creation at Genesis 1 and 2 here, and he's saying that man was created in God's image. Therefore, man lives to the honor and praise of God. Now, hang on, ladies, we'll talk about you in a minute. But men, that is what we're called to do. In fact, all men are, but of course most men don't know God, don't know Jesus, can't do it. But men, that is what we are called to do, to live to the praise and glory of God. That's, why, why, that's, that's what's being said here. Right. For man did not come from woman, but woman from man. Neither was man created for woman, but woman for man. The woman is the glory of man. That's what Paul says. How? Is he doing down women? Of course he isn't. What he's saying, he's looking back to Genesis 1 and 2, and he's saying, without Eve, Adam was incomplete. Now, Adam was created in the image of God, but he needed someone to be with him. Without that person, he was incomplete. So, With Eve, Adam is complete. She is made in the image of God. Adam is made in the image of God. But together they they are in that image of God. Isn't that fantastic? That's, That's part of what being man and woman is together. If you're single, you haven't missed out. You're still made in the image of God. God's image is on you, in you. You can live that out. But God's design was that man and woman together should be that wonderful bearing of the image of God. So therefore, in worship, when men and women come together, brackets, dressed appropriately, because that's what sparked this off, they reflect the image and glory of God Isn't that an amazing view of worship? Isn't that an amazing view of what we should be and are doing here on a Sunday morning? That men and women together, worshipping the Lord Jesus together, who's loved us and gave himself for us, and he's forgiven our sin and he's risen from the dead. As we worship Jesus, we reflect, show, demonstrate what it means to be God's image and give him the ultimate praise and glory. We're about an awesome thing here when we sing our songs and and praise Jesus. It's not just a good thing to do. It's about praising him and, and God delighting and seeing that men and women, both created in his image, are coming to him and being the people that he meant us to be. That's worship. Oh. But we come to the tricky verse, authority. Now, a lot of translations have said, and it depends on the word exousia, which is authority, and peri, which is a, a Greek preposition, over on. Don't worry about that. Um, said, ah, ah, but the woman has authority over her husband 
or man or authority on it means the veil which it doesn't nowhere is exousia used for veil very bad mistranslation very bad neither is a hat on they're both passive that's authority being done to the woman if you like but in Greek nowhere else and I mean nowhere else is authority used that way nowhere else it's always that the person has authority so Paul is actually writing here the woman has authority which may be a shock to the way <laughs> it's active she has the authority she has authority to pray and prophesy because there's new freedom in Christ and actually Paul is probably saying you have the authority to choose I want you to choose the right way but you have that authority and what about the angels Paul says angels watch over us he says that generally Paul says one day Christians will judge angels so he could mean that he could say well your worship better be right because one day you're going to judge the angels or did the women, women see themselves as almost being like angels in other words that again blurs the line between male and female because that doesn't exist in, in eternity I'm not so sure here I'll go for the first one does it matter our angels overlooking our worship hmm so let's see our understanding of women and men and their roles and responsibilities is rooted in creation God created them male and female anybody here on the radio this morning about a couple raising their child as genderless and referring to the child as them and they and they say oh that's loving and it's, the child will choose their gender come on we need to be able to answer this sort of thing folks it's growing this nonsense is growing and it's being accepted as fact but it has no basis in science what is it going to do to the child I am a them come on but we we don't need to just rage about it we need to know why and for, for believers for those who trust the word of God God created man woman male and female only two genders now I know there's gender dysphoria we need compassion and mercy we really do but we need to be clear and not just clear but why and authority doesn't depend on a hat or a veil however we understand this authority is actually being under the word of God and it's those who are under authority that exercise authority 
That's what Jesus said. And thirdly, whatever the meaning of angels in the passage, let's not forget the supernatural dimension of everything that we're in. We mentioned this on Wednesday, actually, that, that there's a battle going on in the heavenlies for Beckles, for this church, and we need to be aware of it. And worship is a, is a supernatural thing. We're joining with the angels in heaven, with those that are already around the throne. We are with what is often called the church triumphant as we worship. There's a supernatural dimension to what we do. Moving on, common sense. Paul finally appeals to the common sense of the Christians in Corinth and he says, long hair is given to her as a covering. Oh, dear me. Does this mean that all that the women needs is, is long hair? He's appealing to the customs that are around. It's not easy to know what they are. And the things that are in their culture, does it mean? And is long hair the actual covering, which now people say, if it, if it is, why on earth didn't Paul say so in the first place? Why leave it all the way through this agony and then we get to the fact, oh, well, all you need is long hair. I don't believe that's what he said. And actually, some of the things I said should already say, you know, tell you that that's what I don't believe. I think this is what I think. But long hair is a sign at that, in that culture that women needed this covering to be women and not men. Go back to the culture. Okay. And about the churches of God, Paul's final appeal to the Christians by referring to the way other churches conduct themselves. He says, if you're going to be contentious, look at other churches. They do exactly the same thing. So I've rushed through this. And the final point is this. It's not good for churches to be alone. We need others. And we've been talking about that as well. Now, there are all these different points, lots of different points. And I thought, how can I sum this up? I can't bring everything in, but I think I can sum it up. Most of what we've said, not everything that we've said, but most of what we've said like this. It's a beautiful thing when women and men come together in worship to worship the God of creation in submission to his word when they bring their unique contributions, give praise and honour to Jesus and allow the spirit to move and give the gifts he wants to give. It's a most beautiful thing when men and women come together in worship to worship the God who made us. To worship the God who's given us his word and we submit to his word. To bring our unique contributions equal but different. Fantastic. To bring praise and honour to Jesus who loves us who gave himself for us, who died, who's alive, and to be open to the Spirit to move and who wants to give gifts so that we're built up. Worship 
is our supreme activity. The whole of life. But Jesus said, the Father is looking for worshippers. And we have the privilege of doing that. Just to worship God. That's what this is about. It's about worshipping God. It's about being who we are. And saying, God, I love you. I praise you for your son. I want your spirit to come. And you to be glorified. Can we worship? Can the band come up? We've got time constraints here, but let's, let's do five minutes of worship or whatever and make it 15, 20 worth. Because Jesus is worthy of our praise. Jesus is worthy of all our honor and glory. Jesus is worthy of everything that we can give him. Jesus is worthy, and he wants you and he wants us together to come and give him all that is due. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord.